This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 42. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with Master Certified Coach Joseph Seiler about his journey from being the president of his own engineering company to becoming a Master Certified Coach and how coaching can help both leaders and their teams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Yes, indeed, you heard it right. This is episode 42. And while it may not give all of the answers to life, the universe, and everything, it'll give some, I promise. And it'll be an awful lot of fun, too. I'm really glad to have you here with us today. Uh, Before we get into the good stuff, I wanted to finally announce the winner of the contest to win a signed copy of Leading from the Jump Seat by Peter Docker. Peter, of course, uh, graciously joined us here on the podcast a few episodes back and offered to uh, send one loyal fan a signed copy of his brand new book. And I'm pleased to announce, Diego Cordeiro of Portugal, congratulations, my friend, you are winning a signed copy of Peter Docker's book. And by the time this airs, the book is likely already in the mail on the way to Portugal. Uh, Diego is a friend of the show. He's appeared before in the mailbag and is a, a loyal, longtime listener. So super, super happy that uh, you're getting a copy of this book, Tiago. For those of you who were not fortunate enough to win a copy, I still highly encourage you to go out and buy one for yourself. I'll be putting a link in the show notes to that so you can check that out. Uh, It's a great book, a great read. Uh, So thank you once again, Mr. Docker, and thank you to you, Tiago, for joining the contest. Next thing I wanted to mention is I'm planning, as promised, my next monthly webinar. It'll be held on Monday, November 22nd, but I need your help. I need to know what you would like to learn about. I've got a couple ideas, but I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is serving you, the people who are actually listening to this and showing up to the webinars. Last one was great, so I really want to keep this up. The three ideas that I have in mind are goal setting, running productive meetings, and agile project management for the rest of us. And I've got uh, a couple polls running both on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and I've already got a bunch of feedback from the community on the kinds of things that uh, uh, you want to hear about, which is awesome. And uh, if you haven't yet seen that, I would love to hear from you. I'll put links to both the LinkedIn poll and the Twitter poll in the show notes. You can go to engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 42 to uh, to find those links. And I would love to hear from you. I'd love to know what you want to learn about. Goal setting, running productive meetings, or agile project management for non-software folks, for the rest of us who uh, maybe are, are unfamiliar <laughs> with the world of agile. All right, that's all for now. Let's move on to today's feature presentation. Joseph Seiler has spent his career helping engineers do incredible work by empowering them and stepping back to let them just do what they do. First as a president and CEO of his own company, and later as a master certified coach. Joseph's experience provides incredible lessons learned for engineering managers of all stripes, most especially the value of coaching as an engineering manager. After earning his Bachelor of Engineering at the University of Alberta and his Master's in Engineering at Dal Tech, Joseph started and built six companies. 
After selling his last business, he became an executive business coach. Today, he runs Your Natural Edge Success Coaching, where he specializes in coaching the influencers in business, starting with the leader. He's a certified professional coactive coach and a master certified coach. Here's my conversation with Joseph. Mr. Joseph Seiler, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. I'm very excited about this. Uh, this is a topic that uh, I'm I'm personally very passionate about is is coaching and and how coaching can play a role in an engineering leader and an engineering manager's everyday life. Um, to to get this started, I want to go I want to go back to before you were a coach, uh, before that that was your your number one profession to your time as a leader in engineering. Can, can you tell us a little bit about about that background? Well, I had two sort of sub-careers before I became a full-time coach. And immediately prior to coaching, I was uh, the owner, president, CEO, blah, blah, of a, a design and engineering company. We designed things, we built things, we installed things in harsh environments. And we had over 40 people uh, doing that. So uh, it was a pretty exciting time because we rarely built two of anything uh, our, our specialty was, if you can't buy it, we'll build it. Uh, so we, we built some very unusual pieces, uh, mostly for the scientific uh, and the marine community. So uh, marine research institutes, Navy, Coast Guard, those kinds of places. Uh, and they were always doing something unusual. So it was, it was very intriguing, uh, very engaging. Uh, and rewarding when you know you kick something over the side of a ship that you built, and uh, you're watching the screen, and you're watching the screen, and you're watching the screen, and oh, <laughs> it's working, it's working. <laughs> so, Eureka, right? So it was it was very satisfying in many ways, and throwing things out of aircraft and and over the sides of ships was one of the 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 highlights. So yes, we did a lot of that. Lots of stallions in our company. And uh, you say, well, great, you have lots of talent. Yes, you do. But you know how stallions are. <clears throat> Every one of them wants to be the boss. So <laughs> I, have to, uh, I have to lead the stallions. So, so that's, that's really interesting is uh, the, the, the tension that exists when you, when you hire and work with uh, high-performing individuals to try to get them working as a team, to click as a team. And, you know, it doesn't take long to look. And, you know, sports is a great example. All-star teams are very rarely very good teams. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, a lot of talented individuals. How, how, did you, how did you manage that? How did you manage your, your team of, of stallions, so to speak? Well, well uh, <laughs> uh, with joy, I guess, but uh, ultimately acknowledge what we have. Uh, name, name the name of the elephant in the room. Let them know they're stallions. Uh, let them know that most stallion behavior is welcomed and that's why they were hired and also let them know that some stallion behavior like biting other people is not welcomed and uh, we, we we need to resist that so letting them know uh, being transparent uh, being more we than than us and them uh, helping to be helping to be transparent that's just a big plus I remember we we spoke a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, before before the interview, and and you shared a story about taking on uh, a big chunk of work, bid, bidding on a big chunk of work, um, and and actually 
winning it almost almost accidentally. Can, <laughs> can you tell us that, that that story and 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 how you and how you manage that and engage the team? Yes, uh, the the situation was that we wanted to have a, a step increase in the size of our of our company, and we were of a size in between one and two million. Where that's really hard to do. There there are books written about the the impossible one million dollar company type of thing, and uh, so the approach I decided on deliberately uh, was to seek a contract so big that we couldn't possibly do it with our existing team. And I thought, well, I don't know. It's, it's like that thing, you know, the dog chasing the car. Once you catch the car, what does the dog do? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went chasing the car and I, I managed to land a rather large contract. Uh, we were, you know, something over 1 million and the contract I landed was over half a million. So it was like a, whoa, big, yeah. big, big lump. So we needed to organize the existing team in a way to uh, to be you know, smart and safe about implementing this this new work. And the contract I sought, uh, there were two parameters that were important. One is uh, we didn't have to have a new skill. We didn't have to have something new that we didn't know how to do. Uh, and that we could actually, if we just did more, if we had more of what we had, we could do it. So I managed to find this magical contract and got it, and then was kind of like, yay. Uh, now what? <laughs> now what? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, not, I'm the dog that caught the car. So I, we, uh, we, I assembled everybody into the into the boardroom, and I had uh, the whiteboard up in front, and all the people's names on one axis and all the contracts on the other axis with this new with this new one there, and I. I told him the good news. And then it says, now, now we got to figure out how to do this. And it says, well, here's my idea. You're all fired. Well, the room went still for a moment. <laughs> it says, what that means is all those responsibilities you had when you walked into this room, you don't have them anymore. The other side of the coin is somebody's got to do them. And I'm willing to shuffle the deck completely and let you folks sort out a better way to allocate resources so we can do all those all those tasks on that one axis of that, of that chart on, on a whiteboard. Within minutes, the leadership of the new project had been claimed and leadership of the other major projects had also been claimed. So what was left was all the little smaller projects. So if it was 50,000 or more, somebody had it. Hmm. And the 600 plus one, somebody had it. And the one who took it surprised me. Oh, boy. I almost stepped in and said, not you. <laughs> but okay, let's, let's go for it. And the, the very cool thing, Patrick, is that as he claimed it, he had to go up to the board and put your name. As he claimed it, as he was walking back to his seat in the boardroom, he tagged two other people to work with him. Hmm. He tagged a software guy. And he tagged somebody who was good at sensors and you know technology to do with sensing. So he had his major software guy, he had his sensor guy, and he himself was pretty good at you know the stuff that would glue it together. So then then that's, you know from that the waterfall uh, filled up the rest of the requirements for the job. And uh, it was a bit of a frenzy in the room for not too long. Within 15 minutes, all the boxes were filled with somebody, and. 
it was kind of a an atmosphere of fear in a way, but excitement at possibility and like, oh my God, we don't have time for it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a very, very positive, uplifting experience for the whole building. They knew that they were trusted by me. And they knew that the magnitude of the responsibility because of the style of leadership they'd experienced so far, that, you know, if you were the team leader, you were the team leader. And they also knew the capability of their so they could tap the right person and say, hey, look, Patrick, I really need some help with this such and such. And you're the, you're the man. Have you got enough room in your schedule to do this? And I need it by January 30th. And they sorted it out. Uh, it was very exciting experience. Uh, uh, lost my breath for a few moments there, but <laughs> it worked. And I would say it was one of the pivotal moments in the growth of our company. So th- this is a really, this is a fascinating story because you, you think about um, the challenges associated with rapid growth, no matter what stage you're in and, and, and the, the kind of indigestion uh, an organization can get. You, you, you read stories about reorgs, and how long and drawn out and painful they can be. And here you are, <laughs> as, as the leader of, of, uh, of a tech company, saying, you know what, I trust you guys to sort it out. Go for it. It's, it's remarkable to me that, that there wasn't infighting, that it didn't take weeks, that you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the, degrade into a, a Lord of the Flies style turf war. Like, the, this, is, this is kind of the, the fear that is struck in me as uh, an MBA grad <laughs> that that's not supposed to work. How is it that that worked? Well, I mean, they believed me, for starters. I mean, it's not like I was, you know, incarnated in that moment. They had experiences of me. And they knew that I liked to do these oddball things because I had done things sort of like that before, but nothing of this magnitude. Hmm. Uh, the people that stood up to take the project leadership positions, uh, the rest of the room had to kind of like nod, and they knew it. So if, if Patrick stood up and took the $600,000 drop, there were three or four other stallions in the room who had to look at you and say, Okay, Patrick, I will I will help you with that. Right, and they did. Um, they they knew what they could do. They knew better than anybody what's what the guy in the next desk could handle and what he couldn't. And when I say guy, I mean guy or gal or me, females involved too. So the internal workings of the group, they knew each other, and I think that's where that's what if you're saying for what worked, I'm just thinking of now is they knew each other. That's what worked. And when they knew each other, I threw this big curveball into the room. And I said, there it is for you folks. Go for it. And they did. And I swear, it was 20 minutes and the, you know, the dust was settling already. So, yeah, it's just remarkable. And I, I think that of the, of the big stories in your, your career as, as a, a president, CEO, th- this one really highlights... Uh, or, or, or maybe predicts where you would end up later in your career as as a coach. And the, the link I see here is about really empowering the person or the people, the team, to 
to execute something they are capable of, though they might not realize it quite yet. Yes, you're right. And what you said earlier, too, is is, is quite germane here that the, the whole business of uh, what's expected, you know, using the MBA sort of expectation or the plan book uh, is control. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I said, there's no control. Go, hurry. <laughs> and that was so invigorating for them because after all, they were stallions. They are stallions. So when, when that happened, you know, the energy went up. They looked at each other and said, is this for real? They nodded and said, it is. You better get up to that whiteboard fast. And they did. Yeah. And, and naturally what happens is the strongest leaders go first. They just naturally do. And then the ones who are watching and who are about to go reassess and some sit down and say, I'll do, I'll do your, you know, your mechanical for you or something else. There wasn't, there wasn't fighting over scraps, if you will. Mm. It just kind of fell into a natural order. And once you have the big pieces in place, the rest is easy. So we, we fast forward a little bit from from that time, um, you, you eventually made the move out of um, uh, out of industry, so to speak, and, and into coaching. Um, and I'd love to know what what prompted that move. And and looking back, can you can you connect the dots between where you were and and where you you are today? I think so. Um... The, the company was sold to three employees. I was, I was 47. I didn't need to work. I had time on my hands, lots of energy. I wanted something fulfilling. So after not that many weeks, maybe, you know, seven or eight weeks, I started getting antsy in my early retirement and not really realizing it was a coaching question. I asked myself the question. What would I love to do enough that it would get me out of bed in the morning, every morning for the rest of my life? That's a big question. But I asked myself that question and the the coaching thing came up very quickly uh, and undeniably. So from then on, it was a matter of, you know, now that my antennas were up, you know what it's like if if you're looking for a red car, I mean, you almost before you finish blinking, there's one right in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're not looking for a red card, there aren't any. So anyway, I was looking for coaching and before you knew it, uh, before I knew it, uh, opportunities presented themselves, a training program presented itself. Uh, I just got introduced to Coaches Training Institute and uh, took the uh, the sort of sampler session that they have. It's a three-day weekend where you go and and check things out and they give you training. I went, I went to that and uh, I was hooked. I was, I drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> so, so what, what about coaching um, made that, you know, the, the red car that you were looking for? What, what is it do you think that, that really attracted you to the whole idea in the first place? I've always been certainly in hindsight, also somewhat at that time, uh, the leader. I've, I've often been deferred to and asked to lead. Uh, join the church parish council. Before the end of the second meeting, I'm the chair for crying out loud. You know, it, just, it just happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
uh, you know, IEEE, uh, Marine Technology Society, whatever, whatever I joined, it was, it was pretty quick that I would find myself in a leadership position. I, I seem to be okay there. I'm not afraid of being a leader. And I just have such an absolute faith in, in humankind and people. Uh, not everybody deserves that trust and faith. But 99% do. Hmm. So I don't go around sniffing for the 1%. I concentrate on the 99. And guess what? It's like that red car. You want to look for leadership and, and capacity and capability in human beings. Look around you. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Just help the flower bloom. Right. And away we go. So I, I was, I, I fancied myself a natural leader and uh, had the habit of leadership. And it just seemed to me that I concentrated on the people. That's, that's what I did. I didn't concentrate on the technology. You know, I have a master's degree and I even earned a patent at one point. But that's, that's not, that was not what made the company go. It's the people. Uh, you got 40 plus people. I could not do much to get things done. The other 44, other 43, they were the ones who did it. So I had to, in my mind, I had to nurture them and enable them and empower them and all those nice words that we see nowadays in the HR community. So I was, I saw myself as doing that and I liked it because I, I liked the effect. So when I heard about coaching and what it was and how it worked and had this weekend sample session, it was all about empowering the individual from within. I thought, well, there's just no doubt this is it. So I immediately signed up for all the training, which is a you know, total of five uh, three-day weekends and as soon as I was uh, allowed to, I then signed up for this thing called certification, which is a uh, six months of practice, so and so many hours of coaching, supervision, testing, and so on and so forth to get in the door to get to this ACC level of coach. Uh, so I, I signed up for everything right away, as fast as I could, uh, because well, I've, I had I had time, I had money, I had desire. I mean, what else? Get out of my way. <laughs> So away I went, and it was just, it was just, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. So I say, what, what drew me to it is, is it was, it was natural for me to go there and to formally acknowledge and grow, strengthen what I was normally doing anyway. So, so for the uninitiated, uh, we, we've we've been using the word coaching and, and talking a lot about uh, uh, around what it is and what it does. Uh, for for someone who's maybe not super familiar with it, well, how would you define coaching, and and maybe how would you distinguish it from uh, consulting or therapy or a- any of these other professions that are kind of around it? A very good question, especially since the the word coach evokes so many different uh, possible definitions. So thanks for asking it. It's important. The kind of coach that we're talking about here is the one who is helping the person they're coaching, the coachee, helping them to, to get a good grip on where they are, so being honest with where they are, uh, get a clear picture of where they want to go, so the future, their plan, and to help them find the resolve and the, 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 the willingness to stay with it, to go and get what they know will fulfill them. To contrast it 
with, say, therapy, for example, therapy is backward looking and looking for root cause. And there are many situations where that is exactly what needs to happen. But coaching is for where you are now going forward. Therapy is where you where you are and how you got there. Uh, the sports coach, um, the sports coach brings the rules. The sports coach tells you what's what's not happening with your with your with your arm or with your leg or or with your throwing or with your, what some technique stuff. And the sports coach uh, is is really concerned about winning the game. Yes, in large part by helping you be better, but it's the game that the sports coach is focused on. The kind of coach that I am is focused on your your greater future, greater success, greater, this is a strange word for business, your happiness. We, we the coaches of the that. That am, we concentrate on happiness. And when a person is, is more clear, they make better decisions faster, they become more successful, and guess what? Happier. So that's what we're about. That's what the, the coaching profession is about. So, so why? I, I guess I've got two, two questions about what you just said. Why is it that happiness is is so important to business success, and and why is it such a funny thing for us to talk about? What? Why do we both laugh at the idea that we would talk about happiness in a business context? Well, let's let's uh, answer that backwards. Let's talk about the happiness thing. Happiness is too woo woo to be business-like. There's not a section for happiness in the business plan. Hmm. The MBA does not study happiness. The, you know, the Masters of Commerce degree, the, uh, the Harvard graduate, happiness is not on the list. And yet, ask yourself, look around you. Would you rather hire two twins, right? Identical. One's happy, one's not. Which one's going to be more productive? No question. Yeah. Hands down. The happy one is the one that you want. No question about it. It's a strange thing to pursue in accordance with the business plan that the bank wants. Uh, but the bank will be very pleased to see that you have a, a personnel development program in your company and that it is part of your culture to help people to, to increase your self-awareness and their, their fulfillment and, yes, their happiness. The banker will nod and say, yeah, we could use some of that around here. Because the bank is a company too, they're an organization. And that human being will know, they will understand, because they're humans, what we're talking about. The the one other place that comes to mind where I, I think they would they would get it is a uh, Gallup. And Gallup releases, you know, their their employee engagement surveys and their 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 strengths finder tool. And uh, yeah. they, they, they seem to they seem to get it that the value of of an engaged employee and, and an engaged employee is, is, is a happy employee and, and vice versa, I think. Yes. So I'm really, really, really glad that you, uh, that you touch on that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about when it came to coaching is, is this idea that, um, managers in engineering, uh, are more and more often, it seems encouraged to, to wear the coaching hat at times with their staff. And uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you, what you think of that. And if you had any concrete, concrete ideas, concrete tactics or, or, or tips that you might share with engineering leaders on, on how to actually do that 
in the run of a day or the run of a week. Hmm. That's a, that's a complex, many, many faceted question. And it is, it is the center of the engineering leaders world. The engineering company and the engineering team need to get things done. They design and build things to have a result that's tangible. And to just feel good is not tangible. So they need something that can be measured. Smart goals, the M in smart is measurable. Mm. You must have measurable. So the thing to do is to help people to get connected to what the heck are you doing here? And what is it about the way you're doing it that's going to get you to the result faster, better, easier, more reliably, et cetera, et cetera. I find that the, the simplest, the simplest help a person who's doing engineering work can can give themselves when they come to a, make a decision, when they come to a, uh, a thing that needs to be done or, or changed. There's a conversation that's going in the head because they're, they're, they're challenged. There's this, there's this problem, this invitation to solve. My recommendation is, as you hear the questions forming in your mind, constantly check on who wants to know, who is asking that question. Because the question that forms in the mind might be the little naysayer that we all have in our head not helpful might be the manager and who manages this person when they're in a cranky mood and they, and they're looking for blood. So I might be forming a defense rather than answering the question. I'm forming a defense against Charlie. Who's asking this question? Who wants to know if that nut on the end of that bolt is the right one? Who is asking? Because if it's the engineer who's the designer and builders who's asking, Proceed. If it's one of these other guys, just hang on for a bit. Back up. Back up. And either tell them to go pound sand or ask another question. Mm -hmm. The asker of the question in the mind is the source of the goodness of the question and how helpful it is. I'm going to make better design choices, decisions, and, and so on when, when the engineer is the one who's asking the question in the mind. If the one that's asking the question to mind is this yak, 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 <coughs> this ne negative voice that all of us carry. Like I said, that, that dude is not helpful. Don't even listen to him if you can. But having heard him, set him aside. Let the other voice, let your engineering voice ask the question. What would the engineer on this project need to know next? Ask that of yourself. Sound a little bit crazy, a little bit California woo-woo? I don't care. Ask it anyway. It'll work. You got to get that other stuff out of the way so you get back down to doing <clears throat> doing the thing that you're trying to do in the most effective way. Take an engineering approach. Dissect it. It's interesting you you, you mentioned this, and <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna invoke my daughter here once again on the podcast. My my daughter Charlotte is six, and uh, not long ago we watched uh, one of the new Disney movies, Luca. And one of the one of the the great lines in the movie is uh, "Silencio Bruno," and it's it's two young boys, and they're trying to decide whether or not they should 
careen down a cliff with this homemade scooter that they've put together. Nice. They're, they're they're inviting they're inviting death. <laughs> this is certain to go terribly. As boys tend to do. As boys tend to do. And the one boy is saying, "Well, let's go for it," and the other is saying, I-, "I don't know." And the first boy says, "Well, that that's Bruno speaking. Don't listen to Bruno. Silencio, Bruno." Right? And then and throughout the movie, that that's the theme is like, "Don't listen to that voice." And and I mentioned my daughter because it's it's something that is incredibly useful in reminding her when she's afraid of something or nervous about something. I, I, I'm asking that same question: Is that is that Bruno? Um, so, so it's interesting to hear you invoke a similar idea in a professional setting because I, I know when I say "silencio, Bruno," it's 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 funny, but but there's a kernel of, of truth there, isn't there? Well, you 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 hit the nail exactly on the head. Don't ignore Bruno completely. Just don't take him too seriously. Right, right. Because Bruno will will want me to have an attack of seriousness over the smallest things. So Bruno says something, say thank you, and move on. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I really do appreciate that. Um, one of the things you've you've written about in uh, in your blog is is the um, the importance of, of values uh, within a team and and within the individual. And one of the interesting kind of causal chains that you paint is is that values drive behavior, and then behaviors drive results. And I, I, I think this makes sense. But you go on to talk a little bit about uh, some value traps and how people get stuck in what they think they should value or what they shouldn't value. And I, I thought one of the interesting examples is people don't think they should value control, even though a lot of us really do, deep down, if we're, <laughs> if we, if we're honest with ourselves. Given how how tricky it is to establish values and, and, and the different uh, traps you can fall into. What, what would you recommend for someone who's never really thought in concrete terms about what it is they value themselves as a leader? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Uh, doing my own values assessment all by myself, uh, that's, that's a really tough spiral to get out of. Uh, because the only help I have from doing it myself is the smooth yaki yaki guy who, like I say, is not on my side. If you want to know how to do it, the, the, the entry, the door to values clarification is what do I do? Not what do I say? What do I do? What do I stand in line for? What do I pay extra for? What do I drive further for? What what will I actually, you know, uh, speak out loudly or shut up for? It's the action. It's the action. What I do strongly do is usually to support a value. So values clarification comes from noticing what I do strongly because the behavior i don't think you get much pushback if 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 you were to make the statement is what you do has the biggest effect of all things on what you get what i do 
affects what I get. And you can go around that loop forever. So you don't study, you get a D. Yes, all remember, hands up, okay. So around and around, around we go. Problem with society is the teacher sends little Patrick home with this report card and the D, and it says Patrick has to improve that D and make it a, you know, shoot for a B or an A. So what, what do mom and dad say? Says, you, you've got to stop getting D's and you've got to start getting B's and A's. Patrick has no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Until we say, what did you believe that told you it was okay to get a D? What supported that D? And I'm speaking from personal experience. In grade nine, where I went to school, there were statewide uh, exams, the same exam every for everybody in my grade at the same day, the same hour. I had straight A's with a C in English. Hmm. Why? I would, with a straight face, respond to you and say, I'm going to be an engineer. I don't need that stuff. <laughs> you know, you can go and read me you a know, little women and do whatever you want. I need physics, math, uh, chemistry. I'm going to, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to make stuff. And I believed, I absolutely believed I did not need English mm-hmm. until I got to engineering school. <laughs> <laughs> a harsh realization I, for us all, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I believed <laughs> that I didn't need it. Yeah. So I, I just, I feathered my, my efforts so I could get the C and get through, not fail. And uh, later on, I paid the price and I caught up. When I had to read a book, I'd go to the library to find a skinny one with pictures so I could get away with it. But like you say, it's it's there's often a mismatch um, when you when you are looking to change results. If you don't look at the behavior, and then and then even uh, earlier in the stream, what beliefs you had, what values you had that drove that behavior, there's little hope of getting to a better outcome. Well, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it does. It defies logic. It. Uh... It gets in the way of, of reason. Uh, the, the logical thing is, I got this for a reason. But what is the reason? Well, uh, hmm, I, I'm going to be an engineer. I, I don't need I don't need English. It's almost like it's almost like you're recommending people do a five wise exercise, but rather than look at the equipment and its failure, look at look at your own internal system. Yeah, and and create create the coaching question. What do I believe so strongly that tells me I don't need English as a, as a subject that I only need to get a C? What what is it that I believe that is telling me that that's okay? Something. Obviously, I had the ability because I got A's and everything else. Yeah, I think I, I'm 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 pausing here, thinking to myself, what, what you know. <laughs> of the things that are going well or not going well in life, what what beliefs are there that are either uh, drive me towards success or where, in, in in other cases where am I blocking myself? This is very very powerful. Yeah, and you, and you, you the word toward there is very very germane. It's very important because we we incrementally move towards. We don't suddenly become. We don't jump. We move toward. And that's uh, that's also something. And we're not taught. Society doesn't say that. 
society says change. Do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping that by, by this point in the conversation, many engineering leaders are thinking to themselves that, yeah, I ought to have some coaching tools in my belt. If someone wanted to, maybe not necessarily go to the extent you have, um, but wanted to wanted to to dig into this a little bit more and 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 build some coaching skills. What 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 might you recommend? How how could someone kind of at least make themselves more aware of of what coaching can do? Yeah, that, that's a little bit tricky because everybody has their own learning style and their own speed and so on and so forth. Uh, it, some people can pick up a book and, and get it all. Other people can't come close to it without experiential experience in a room with others. So in, in a general way, uh, I think seek examples where coaching has happened. So get enough of a definition so you can recognize it when it's happened. And uh, the, the leading question or the open question is a good example of that. Why did you do that is different than saying, what is it that caused you to do that? Huh. So what is it that caused you to do that is asking about beliefs. Why did you do that is punishment. Right. <laughs> you know, you already like, know you're in trouble if you're on the receiving end of that question. That's right. Where, <laughs> where, do, I, where do I plant the yardstick, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, just getting used to understanding the different position. No, nothing has changed in the situation in front of you, but freeze frame, freeze time, walk around the situation until you have a question that is helpful to, to show the person what they believe is true. Even if you disagree, just help them be more clear. Because if they are more clear, they will automatically, can't help it, make a better decision for themselves later. See, I think this brings us f full circle, doesn't it? The, this idea that if you empower people and you, you really can be a catalyst for that, they, people can make really great decisions and, and push things forward. And often the, the best way to, to help an individual or a team is to, to set the scene and get out of the way. Get out of the way is a coaching skill. Yes, I agree. And as far as the empowering goes, just to get away from the, you know, the, the overused word of empower, hmm. I'd say mirror them. Show them a mirror of themselves. When they can see themselves and what they were doing, many of them will go, oh, was that me? Help them to see themselves. What do you believe you just did by doing that or saying that or whatever? What do you believe, what were you going for when you did that? And help people to step back and look at themselves, not look other places for blaming or punishment, but look at themselves and say, oh yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I see something now, right? What do you see? And then, and then celebrate. Whatever they say, even if you don't agree, celebrate. Oh, my God, that sounds fantastic. What was it like for you to discover that? Hmm. Up we go. Well, that, Joseph, th this has been uh, an awful lot of fun, and I, I, my 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 mind's racing in the back here. I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot I need to, to, to think through and process. Um, 
I'd, I'd like to ask um, if someone was interested in in finding a, a coach of their own or, or working uh, working with you. What what would be the the best next place for them to go or next step to to take? Well, one of the nice things about coaching and the pandemic is that uh, the pandemic has underlined how easy it is to find a coach anywhere in the world. So rather than restrict to you know the coaches within ten blocks. You now have coaches within five time zones, and you know you can go anywhere. Uh, Internet, of course. International Coach Federation has a list of uh, people who are there, thousands of people there. Uh, it, it depends on your style. Ask somebody. Who around here knows a coach? Any good? Who else do you know? Um, if you want to contact me, my website is yournaturaledge.com. I'll help you. Maybe, maybe you'd like to work with me, maybe not. But the, the whole business of coaching is an expanding field because it's so effective. The reason it's growing so fast is because it works. Because if it didn't work, it would have dried up a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not competing with uh, uh, with the other sort of helping uh, skills. It's not counseling. It, it's not uh, therapy. It's not mentoring. Mentoring is having a specific skill set in a specific area, helping you because you want that specific help. The coach doesn't have to be expert in your exact field. It's nice if you're in business to have somebody who knows about business. It's good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, conversations. But I'm out there, you know, your natural edge is, is, is what I sell. It also happens to be the name of my company. And I help people find that edge, as we've been discussing for the last 40 minutes. Uh, it's your edge, not mine. And we're, we're helping, I mean, I'm helping you to find it and show that mirror in front of you so you can say, oh, yeah, that's me. All right, let's go. So it's, it's beautiful stuff. I enjoy it very much. No, that that much is that much is clear. You, you speak you speak with passion for it. So, I'll absolutely be putting uh, that link in the show notes so people can uh, visit the website for that. Uh, Mr. Joseph Seiler, thank you very very much for joining me tonight. It's been a pleasure. Indeed, it has. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you once again, Joseph Seiler. A great chat. Some really really fun stories that uh, he brought to the the interview uh really really great to to hear hear him draw from that experience hear him draw from that that real life of leading engineers and being faced with tough decisions really cool to get that insight uh as always I, i'd like to share a few things that really stood out to me when i when i listened to this uh chat again probably the most important thing that that came out this is a great deal of power in allowing a team that's in performing mode. If you're familiar with Tuckman's uh, forming, storming, norming, performing framework for, for teams, for teams that are in the performing mode, they really can handle big challenges. Uh, they can handle things that they've not seen before. And you'll hear Joseph emphasize that the team really, they knew one another. So when he brought this challenge to the table in, in running a complete reorg of his business, the team was able to tackle it because they were in that performing phase. And I thought that was just brilliant on his part to hand such a big thing to his team. Most owners, most CEOs, most presidents, 
would be reluctant to give that kind of power to a team. But Joseph recognized the moment and the team's capability to handle such a thing. So I thought that was great. One of the other things that stood out, and I had forgotten about this, that this whole conversation about uh, Silencio Bruno and the importance of questioning the questions that arise in your mind and, and taking a moment when you're thinking something, when you're asking yourself something, asking yourself, where is this coming from? Or in other words, who is asking this? Is this really me or is this kind of the, the naysayer or, or the, the, the doomsday <laughs> character that we all, we all have from time to time? Is it Bruno who is predicting a bad outcome and, and nudging you down a certain path? Asking yourself, who is asking this question? Who is it speaking to me right now? Is an incredibly powerful tool. That pause to, to question whether or not you're headed down the right path in terms of your, your line of thinking and reasoning. And the final thing that I wanted to share was, it, it came across as a bit of a silly example, uh, this, uh, this bit about coming home with a D on a report card and, and being told as a student, get Bs and As instead. And, and how crazy this is, um, it occurred to me after the fact how often we do this as engineers and, and particularly engineering managers, we, we look at the metrics and we manage the metrics. We see a dot on a graph that is in the wrong spot and we say, we've got to move that dot. And it's very tempting to focus our time and attention on the dot on the graph or the size of the bar in the chart. And then we're managing the metrics as opposed to managing the work or the product, or whatever it is that is underlying the metrics. And that's incredibly dangerous, because when you manage metrics, you lose sight of what's actually being measured. And you can fix a metric without actually fixing the problem, if you're not careful. So I, I really appreciated what Joseph was saying um, when, he, when he elicited that, that report card analogy. It didn't occur to me in the moment, but listening back to it, 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 it really did stand out as something that we do do in our professional lives. And, and maybe we don't do it, but certainly we're subjected to it. So it's important to recognize those moments when the score or the metric is being managed as opposed to the thing that that metric or score is, is trying to illuminate or tell us about. So thank you once again, Joseph. I will absolutely put all the links for the items mentioned in the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 42. Uh, again, I, I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I, it was an absolute blast. Next up, we've got the Engineering and Leadership Mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to read my favorites right here on the podcast. Jasmine Shaw on Twitter, who is uh, at Jasmine Shaw, commented on a book that I shared. I came across a book that uh, it's not yet released. It's being written right now by an engineer named Tanya Riley called The Staff Engineer's Path, which is really interesting. It, what Tanya realized was that there's all these books out there for engineers who want to get into management and leadership and, and to guide them through that. And what Tanya recognized is the importance of engineers who don't want to get into management, don't want to get into leadership, that they, they need a path too. They need some way to progress and remain in their roles as high-level individual contributors. We need people 
who stay in engineering doing technical work. This is incredibly important. I know I've talked about it on the show before. It's very, very important not to take great engineers who want to stay in the, the, the hard technical work, take them out of that and make them managers just because they're the top performing engineers. That's not a great way to find managers. And it's a great way to really hurt teams. So I'm really excited about this book that Tanya is writing. Anyway, Jasmine commented on this saying, this is really exciting to see. The engineer who doesn't really want to be a manager but ends up as a manager trend is almost endemic. At my company, we're looking at carving out a fellowship slash technical leadership career track to ensure that folks see there is an alternative. So Jasmine, very excited for for you and the organization you you are working with right now. I think that's a brilliant idea. So I I appreciate your insight. Um, I'll be putting a link both to that conversation and to Tanya Riley's book. So you can check that out in the show notes. Next, we had Aditya Guthi. Uh, who's a a friend of the show. You've probably heard uh, of uh, Aditya before. Uh, He has an interesting question about when managers should step in to help their teams. This was in response to a post that I had made about the importance of managers stepping back, the importance of, of managers allowing their teams to work through problems and not just feeding them solutions for the sake of, uh, frankly, of pragmatism. You can't solve every problem as a single person, uh, but also as a tool for growth. And it just this generated a lot of conversation on LinkedIn. But uh, Aditya had, a, had a, an interesting question. He said, OK, but when should a manager step in? And like so many other things, it's a judgment call. And there will be times where it's all hands on deck. Um, there's, you know, a, a once in a blue moon occurrence or emergency or situation where, yeah, the right thing to do is to be the extra coder or to be the extra drafter or to be putting the slide decks together at midnight. That that will happen. The the risk, though, is when that becomes a recurring thing, when that's the norm, when it's not an emergency or once in a blue moon. And if you find yourself getting sucked into this kind of thing as a leader, that's a problem. And you need to you need to kind of pull yourself back from that and think about, OK, what what things are recurring? What what is triggering these situations? Is there a system I can put in place to avoid the emergency? Or is there a system I can put in place to anticipate and deal with the emergency without my being sucked in at all times? Uh, but like so many other things, Aditya, it's a it's a judgment call and, and it's a tricky one to make. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. But uh, again, it's something you, you learn, you learn over time. So I, I really do. I really do appreciate the question. Thanks once again to all those who reached out. If you would like to chat or leave a comment and be featured here on the show, please do find me on LinkedIn or leave a comment in the episode show notes. That's all the time we have for the show today, but I promise to be back very soon with our next episode. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the subscribe button. And if you could, leave an honest review and let me know what you thought was most interesting from today's episode. This will help me make the show better and it'll help others find the show as well. Don't forget, I would love to know what you would like to learn about in our our next monthly webinar. I'll be putting a link to the LinkedIn and Twitter polls in the show notes. So do check that out when you get a chance and let me know what you would like to hear about. 
For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 42. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com.